Smith and Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you back again for another week, Monday edition. And unfortunately, you limp into the week a little bit if you're the Toronto Raptors or if you're a Toronto Raptor fan as you're coming off another loss. Three straight now for Toronto. And five of seven, seven of ten. Yeah, Jonesy, not good right now for the Raptors. And that was a game last night that you might be looking back upon in a couple of weeks or in eh, maybe a little more precisely six weeks where you say that was the moment. That was the game right there. If the Raptors pick up the victory, they move within a game of the sixth seed, but as a result of the loss, now three back. And I think you're now starting to look over your shoulder as much as you are looking ahead of you. And it was just a, man, about a week ago, a little more than a week ago, that you were definitely looking ahead. And we're not looking behind as much. And the only saving grace for the Raptors is that the Brooklyn Nets continue to struggle as well. They haven't gotten themselves back on track yet, or maybe not even back on track, on track, period. Um, Atlanta's still trying to stay in the in the thick of things and make some noise. Charlotte as well. So Toronto's got some work to do, and I don't know how or when they turn it around if they continue to be bit by the injury bug playing without two starters yesterday in Van Vliet and Ananobi, which has been the case for a while now, and then playing without a sort of fill-in starter who was playing well in Malachi Flynn. He's now sidelined indefinitely, and I think the lack of depth uh, overall and certainly the lack of shooting and thus floor spacing really, really impacted Toronto. Um, and e, I guess the other question is, when do you get it back? Like there's, yeah. there's whis- whispers out there that Fred could be ready for uh, possibly Wednesday in San Antonio. Well, that would be great it, it could be, because as as much as as much as you can play uh, positionless basketball, I thought Scotty was really good last night. Um, I think Pascal's an excellent playmaker, but to have a point guard, a true point guard out there to to orchestrate your offense. And it's not just people like, well, you know, so-and-so can play point, so-and-so can play point. A true point guard recognizes the defenses. When they started switching defenses on Scotty, unless you're used to seeing that, right? It's like, well, yeah, you know, your 16-year-old's a good driver in the summer, in the sun. What happens when your 16-year-old has to drive in January when it's snowing and the road's slippery and the road's wet? Is he still a good driver? Is she still a good driver? You're not so sure, are you? And it's the same thing. They start changing defenses and throwing different looks at you. Now you're like, hold on a minute. I'm not used to this. Yeah, I can play point, but I've never done this. Whereas a guy like Fred or a guy like Malachi... They see that stuff. all. They're in a zone. Let's go here. You there, you there. They get you organized. And I, I just think that it would be nice to have, you know, one of your 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 real, uh, you know, your true point guards to be able to be on the floor when you need them. Uh, yeah. And it's, you know, it's even tougher when you're facing an all-star guard as well. Darius Garland, I thought, played well last night, but certainly uh, the rookie, Evan Mobley. I mean, that was, I guess, if you're looking for a silver lining to the loss, I enjoyed watching Mobley and Scotty Barnes, both of them, you know, 1-2-2-1, depending on how you're voting for rookie of the year. It's going to be one of those two guys, and I think it's probably going to come down to 
which team ultimately has the better record uh, by the time the regular season rolls around. Because to me, it's a pick right now. I would say Mobley probably has a little bit of an edge right now, and he was certainly magnificent last night. And as much as I sit here and start the show talking about the guards and the lack of guard play, Jonesy, maybe your point is better in terms of the playmaking was still pretty good, so perhaps it's more just the shooting. Because we've seen now opponents of late, whether it's uh, packing in a zone against the Raptors and daring them to shoot because they don't have shooters. They're missing Fred. They're missing OG, two of their best three-point shooters, two of their top three, uh, with really Gary Trent being the only other legit threat, legit weapon on this team. And then, of course, his struggles coincide with missing those two guys. Now, is that just a coincidence, or is that suddenly he's seeing tougher looks or not getting great looks because of the way teams are playing? Then you look last night. Well, okay, you got a lot of size to deal with between Mobley and at least for the first quarter before he got hurt, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, even Kevin Love. There's a lot of length, a lot of size, a lot of spacing for Cleveland and just a lot of things kind of unraveling at the wrong time, uh, sort of all happening at once for Toronto. And I think that, you know, I think a lot of it can be tied to the injuries. And I'm not looking for excuses, but you take two starters, including an all-star, off any team. I don't care if we're talking about a bottom feeder or a top team. You take two starters, including an all-star, and your primary backup guard, perhaps, off any squad, they're probably going to struggle, no matter who they got left on the roster. And I think Toronto's going to have to try to find a way to get out of this. And your point about Van Vliet coming back, maybe, maybe, on Wednesday, it can't come soon enough. Because I still think there is time to... I don't know if it's even fair to use the word salvage, to to salvage this thing, to turn this thing around. I don't think you're that far away from the team that, that, that won eight in a row. But at the same time, as I said off the top, you've now lost five out of seven. You've lost seven out of ten. You're looking over your shoulder. And in this final stretch, this final quarter of the season, what did we say before? 500 is not going to be good enough. So you've already dug yourself a little bit of a hole. You're going to have to go on an extended streak. And the Raptors have now hit that streak that we've talked about all season. You lose one or two, fine. But it can't be three, four, five. Well, they're sitting at three right now. And these should have been, could have been, a lot of winnable ball games. Detroit, Orlando, San Antonio. You know, even that Cleveland game. I, I think you're, you're going into that two weeks ago thinking, hey, why not? But then yeah. the injuries hit, and you're like, oh, boy, oh, boy. And we're seeing no gimmies. It's not cliche, no gimmies, and the Raptors are proving it with the way that they've played and with the results that have uh, ultimately come out. Well, I mean, you're at that point in the year where um, teams are fall into, they fall into one of two categories, right? They're either in the mix fighting for a spot, and that's motivating them, or they have no chance and they're just trying to be a chocolate bar in your gas tank just screw things up like and and you look at Detroit and Orlando they fall into the ladder <clears throat> they know they know what's at stake for Toronto and you know they mission accomplished for them in terms of you know taking a couple of wins away from Toronto and then you get a team like Cleveland that is trying to stave Toronto off and stay in front of them so there, that's what they always talk about, the post-All-Star portion of the schedule, the last you know, 20 games, is really, really difficult for those reasons. It's either you're either playing for something or you're playing to keep something from somebody else. And if you're on one of those bad teams, you're also auditioning for the league. So this is a really tough portion of the schedule. And... Uh, 
You know, the, the, I mean, the Raptors are going to have to earn this. They, re, they really, really are. I mean, this, this you know, just a, what, four or five games ago, we're sitting here looking at, oh, this streak could be, like you said, five, six, and now you're on a three-game losing streak. Well, I mean, it, it absolutely was a winnable stretch, right? You've got a Brooklyn team struggling. You got both those wins. You bounce back from, I mean, even go back to Jonesy before the All-Star break. You're looking post-All-Star, Atlanta, Charlotte. Okay, hey, those are two teams you got to try and come up with wins against because you're battling with them. But also, I think you're better than them. And you end up losing both those games. But you know what? Okay, fine. You wipe the slate even at the very least by bouncing back with back-to-back wins over Brooklyn. Great. Now you've got the two worst teams in the Eastern Conference, two of the three worst teams in the entire league coming in to your building, and you lose both. All right, well, you know what? Start the road trip on a positive note. Beat a Cavs team that is reeling right now. They've lost three in a row going into last night. You, you beat them. You're a game back. You're putting the pressure on them. You know, they've been slip sliding away. Jared Allen goes down in the first quarter. Still can't get it done. Like, this was a absolutely winnable stretch, including the next game against San Antonio, who has not gr- had a great season. The Spurs sitting down in 12th, 16 games below 500. And you're going to get a Suns team, Suns team that, what, are, like, are, they're not 100% healthy right now either. I mean, I, I know they're still the number one team in the Western Conference, number one team in the NBA, but you're getting them at the right time if you're ever going to get them. So there was a chance for the Raptors here, and I would still say there is a chance to salvage this thing, to turn this thing around. It is game one of a six-game road trip. So you know what? Try your best to forget about Detroit and Orlando. Focus on this stretch. And this is why I've said before, and I'm, Jonesy, I'm not saying I'm right. And listen, he's a hell of a lot smarter. I mean, a million times smarter than I am when it comes to basketball and X's and O's and the approach and everything else. But this is why I've been a believer, and I know Nick Nurse isn't, but I've always been a believer in trying to break that schedule up into chunks, whether it's three games, five games, a week at a time, a homestand or road trip at a time. Forget what just happened at home. What are we doing right now? We're gone for six. All right, we're 0-1. Can we at the, at the least go 3-3? Three and three? Can we go 4-2? and two? Dare I say 5-1? and one? Like, that's the approach now. And I know some coaches say, oh, we have to take it game by game. Uh, you can't tell me you're not looking ahead a little bit. Not looking past your current opponent, but looking ahead to what's coming and recognizing the importance of, yes, each game individually, but knowing that we got to put together a run at some point. you got to yeah, start stockpiling and, some, right? Yeah, and, and, and uh, I mean, the way I would look at it is, I, I know it's trite, it's cliche, but I do say game by game because you might you might you might get in there one night and for whatever reason things are are going for you and they're not going for the opponent and it wasn't a game that you thought you could get. Uh, Houston, Memphis last night, <laughs> you, you know, and all of a sudden you think, well, no, let's get this one. Let this is one that we weren't counting on. Let's get it. But as we always say. To make sure that, I mean, things always seem to even out, but those two wins against Brooklyn don't mean anything because you, you, you didn't get the two against Detroit and Orlando, right? And that's, I, 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 I'm like you, I'm in favor of breaking it up, but I'm also in favor of looking at what's in front of you because you never know when you're going to have one of those 10 nights on either side of the spectrum. I, I, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I guess I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm. <laughs> I don't know if he's listening. He's probably not. I know. He, I know he does when he's uh, around town. But if Dwayne Casey happens to be listening online, Jonesy to Smith and Jones, 
Maybe I'm guilty of drinking his Kool-Aid a little bit because he's the one that used to talk about trying to win three out of five, go three and two in every five-game stretch. If you do the math, and I'm, yeah. I'm terrible at it, I'm terrible at it, but if you go three and two over five, then correct me if I'm wrong, that's six and four over ten, right? That's nine mm-hmm. and six over 15. So then if we multiply that by two to go over 30, then that's 18 and 12, right? Multiply that over you're 60. You're talking about, that's you're talking about, and four, about 48 wins. Yeah. You're talking about, four, about 48 wins, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that's just season. going three and two over five games. You're willing to give yourself two yeah. lot. Now, you'd rather go four and one or five and oh, but as long as you can take three out of five in every five-game stretch. And that's not anything to necessarily write home about, but to your point, you're still looking at about, you know, being a 48-50 win team. I'd take that. Yeah. And that's going to get you into the playoffs almost every single Absolutely. year. That will get you into the playoffs. Yeah, no, no I, I agree. That's, I mean, that is, well, I mean, you're borrowing from a, a, an experienced coach that has done it before. So yeah. I'm not going to say your, 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 thinking is, your thinking is flawed. Or it's original. It's like people will go, oh, that's pretty good, Eric Smith. Stolen from Dwayne Casey. So, <laughs> Yeah, footnote. <laughs> footnote. Footnote. Um, yeah. All right. Quote, quote your sources. Quote your sources. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, I'd be terrible at that these days. At least we used to be able to just go, oh, this was from Encyclopedia Brown or whatever. Now it's like you can just get damn near anything on the Internet. How do you attribute it to anybody? Uh, I digress. All right, Jonesy. So in all the stuff we've been talking about over the first 10, 15 minutes here, to give folks the numbers – the Raptors, as we said now, three back of the Cavs. But, more importantly, only two and a half up on the Hornets, the Nets, and the Hawks. And yes, I said Hornets first. They have actually leapfrogged the Nets because of tiebreak scenarios and whatnot. Charlotte is now the eighth seed. Brooklyn is nine. And Atlanta is ten. And the all-important Jonesy loss column number is the one that stands out, too. Toronto still has a bit of a cushion, eh, a little bit of a cushion, over Charlotte and Brooklyn. They've each lost 33. Raptors have lost 30. The Atlanta Hawks, in spite of the fact that they're 10th, have only lost 32. But they've got three less wins. So it's, it's a mess right now in terms of the 7-8-9, and the Raptors really did themselves no favors with that loss last night. They could have moved within a game of the Cavaliers, but now three back of that sixth seed. And uh, a few things that stood out from last night's game. Uh, we mentioned Evan Mobley. Uh, we mentioned Scotty Barnes. Mentioned Jared Allen going down with the injury. Chris Boucher, I thought, was pretty solid overall. 21 points on 8 of 13, 7 rebounds as Boucher was in the starting lineup. But Barnes playing that point forward. Nick Nurse Jonesy said before the game, I'm going to trust this guy. He's shown the, uh, the ability to do so. I'm putting the ball in his hands. 19 points. 12 rebounds, 6 assists on 8 of 14 shooting in a team-high, game-high 42 minutes. And here was Nick Nurse on Scotty after the game. Well, the computer froze. So this is technology. This isn't me. This isn't Jonesy. This isn't even Lance. This is technology. So when the computer unfreezes, and we're all familiar with that, we will play that Nick Nurse clip for you. But Jonesy, Scotty Barnes was absolutely awesome last night in spite of the loss for Toronto. I thought he did a great job. I mean, you know, 19-12 and 6. The Raptors had 17 assists. He had six, six of them. So, um, yeah. Yeah. and, and um, 
to a fair point, as one of my old coaches used to say, um, you don't get assists unless guys make shots. Yep. And, you know, with the Raptors shooting only 40% last night, there weren't a lot of shots made and weren't a lot of assists to go around. And, again, give Cleveland credit. Uh, they play it old school. They got the two shot blockers back there when you think about, you know, Mobley and, and Allen. Uh, they're long on the perimeter. I mean, Markinen's their, quote, small forward or, or three-man, although, we're, you know, we're moving more towards a positionless stuff. And they sit in gaps, and they are tough. They are tough. And, I mean, they're, they're, I think they are still number one in opponents' points allowed. So, you know, for the Raptors to be under 100 doesn't surprise me. And, and give, give Scotty credit for running the team. I, I thought he did a really, really good job. He played hard. His usual, you know, what I like about him, he is, he's got that old school mentality to his game. He's got a smaller player. It's like, hey, man, you got no chance. Like, you know, we need Shaq. Maybe Lance Kennedy or Mark Boffo can get a recording of, of, as you said, Shaq's voice saying barbecue chicken. So we can just kind of hit the button. But Scotty would catch a little guy, and it's like, hey, man, barbecue chicken, let's go, in the post, and he would score on them. And they're going to have to start doubling that opposing teams. That, that's out there on the scouting report. And as soon as they start doubling and you pitch it out, if the Raptors move the ball, the opponent will, you'll never outrun the ball. So he's a weapon. He is becoming a weapon, and he's, um, it's going to be quite the vote, E for Rookie of the Year. It, it really, really is. I, I still think by virtue of what Cleveland's doing, a lot of people will give Mobley the nod. But don't overlook Scotty. No. Uh, um, don't, certainly do not, uh, do not look past him in, in any way, shape, or form. It, well, you, you said you want to hear a little bit of Shaq, Jonesy? I think we've got him, don't yeah. we? <laughs> Barbecue chicken alert! <laughs> So that might that might be the new drop that we have to. Lance just has to have that ready for like any time it just comes up, boom, just drop in Shaq. Barbecue chicken alert. There we go. There we go. And we can say that Shaq was on the show. Shaq will Shaq will make cameos and, and brief appearances on Smith and Jones regularly. All right. If if Shaq's talking, that means that the computer is unfrozen, which means I can now go back to Nick Nurse talking about Scotty Barnes. I think it'll be a, a really good learning experience to just sit down and show him some tape and walk through what he's seeing and what other possibilities are there. He may at this point overlook some things sometimes, you know, he'll see a matchup on the post he wants to get and, and he really wants to get it down there. And, and uh, we, you know, whatever happens, happens and it doesn't quite go down there. I think those things get kind of got to look and then get on to the next thing. Um, but again, that's all part of learning, but he thought he, I thought he did a good job. He did a good job of, uh, running sets and executing play calls and keeping things organized wasn't easy. They're switching defenses a lot too. That's a that's a challenge for a young point guard to see. But he did a good job. Hey, forever the coach, Nick Nurse. I I I love the fact that hey, he's still talking about growing pains for a kid that was your leading rebounder, led your team in assists, led your team in minutes, uh, was a couple of points shy of being your leading scorer. Still at 19 on eight of 14. It was still hey, there's some things we got to show him, and and that's the case. It's not going to be perfect, and I love the fact that that to me, Jonesy is is a guy recognizing that this kid's real special, and and with a few refinements and tweaks, 
he can be even better. And and that's maybe the one thing you look upon with this team is no matter what happens, whether they finish as the sixth, seventh, eighth seed, whether they're in the play-in or whether they advance into the postseason, either way, I think this season has to be looked upon as a success just based on how Scotty Barnes has performed, how he's progressed, and the type of player he has turned into in a very short period of time. Well, I, I just look back and say it's – it was such the right pick for the Raptors, although many people wanted Jalen Suggs. Um, and that's why you, for the most part, I'm not saying they get it perfect every time, but you leave your front office decisions to the people in the front office that know, understand, track these kids, watch, and, and see if they fit into their system. Um, you know, personality-wise as much as anything else. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that executives don't get fired, but there are some picks that you make that definitely get you fired earlier than, than when you're supposed to be. So for, you know, all the people, all the people that wanted Jalen Suggs, and he's a terrific player, he was really good in here on Friday night. Yep. But Scotty was... I. I, I I dare any Raptor fan to say right now, I'd trade Scotty Barnes for Jalen Suggs. Would you do that right now? Ian? No. No, I wouldn't. No. I wouldn't. No. And that's not that's not to say Suggs isn't a great player. But I yep. would not. We make qualified that. Trade. that. Yep. I wouldn't either. Yep. I wouldn't either. Yep. And and Scotty's in a system where he's getting responsibility, he's learning, and he's being held accountable for his responsibilities because the team expects to win. They expect to be a playoff team. With respect to Cole, all due respect to Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner, and they're out there playing, and they've won 15 games this year, 16 games. So they are, quote, developing, right? Code word. Getting your head beat in and learning what to do and what not to do. So different situation. And uh, I, I really think Scotty's going uh, to get a whole bunch of votes for, for Rookie of the Year. Well, we Wagner talk a was the of- fourth guy, E. Yeah. Remember yeah. The, last week? I couldn't remember. I had I had five guys. I had uh, I had uh, Mobley, um, Barnes, uh, Giddy. I, I was naming my five, and I couldn't remember the the fourth guy. Wagner. Yeah. Franz Wagner is the, the mm-hmm. guy that I was missing. Yeah. Well, he's not going to win it, but he can be your fifth guy. Uh, Scotty Barnes again, nineteen, twelve, and six points, rebounds, and assists. One of a few sort of playing out of role, out of position, trying to do some new things, different things Nick Nurse is because he's forced to due to all of the injuries and whatnot uh, over the last couple of games. Here is Nurse on that very topic. I think it, I think it looked a little clunky the last couple of games on top of not uh, a ton of energy. We're cleaning it up slowly here with this group. I thought, again, I the only, again, the only things that I saw really stick out are, are some block shots that we took it right into the teeth in the first half, but we pretty much stopped doing that. We either, you know, put them in the rim um, in the second half or we got a few of them out and, and made the next action play. So, it, you know, it is, it's a, it's making adjustments on the fly and, and trying to keep some spacing and yeah. try some lineups and all that kind of stuff. You know, and, and here's to me what stands out as well, Jonesy. Captain, obvious statement of the day, perhaps. If you're not shooting the ball well at a high percentage, 
you're not going to win a lot of games. Because even if your defense is holding strong, like the Raptors held the Cavs to 45%. Well, just a hair under 46%. But they were below 40 themselves, 39.4. And that's being generous considering they were dipping around 31-32 for good chunks of the ball game. Like this team has not shot the ball well. I go back to what I said now 15, 20 minutes ago, the three-point shooting, the floor spacing, etc. I got a number for you. This was going into last night, all right? Going into last night, the Raptors' season average from distance, three-point range, 35.3%. The last three games, 30.2%. Last night, 6 of 24, 25%. So I I didn't update the numbers this morning to include the last three-plus last night, but if it was 30.2 and last night was 25 I'm guessing we're hovering somewhere around 27.5%, over the last four games. Well, That's not going to cut it. No, I'll, I'll, I'll just look at the raw numbers. <clears throat> they, made, they made six three – they averaged 12 three-pointers a game. Right. They, they made six against – seven against Detroit. They made their average. They were 12 against Orlando, and they were six last night. So – Six three-pointers missing, that's 18 points. Like, how do you, like, think about gambling? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to give you, and the, and the spread is minus 18. Like, it, it can't happen. Like, you're not, you're not, you're not going to win if you're not, I mean, as you said, shooting percentage and making shots. And they've got to find a way to make up for that. I, I thought... Um, as, as I texted you last night in the keys to the game, I thought you had to try and play with a little pace, had to rebound and play with a little bit of pace because of the way Cleveland sets its defense and their length. And I, and I think you're going to have to do that on, some, on, on this trip. Um, get out and run a bit. Try to, try to get the other team playing at a pace at which they are uncomfortable. Rely on what you do which is one being one of the best teams in the NBA and creating turnovers. And that may mitigate some of the fact that you're not making all the threes. Maybe you'll get more layups. Maybe you'll get easy baskets. Maybe you'll get some open shots in transition. But I, I think you have to make up for it by playing in a certain way. Just think, uh, what, a week, from, a week from tomorrow, you're in L.A., get Russell Westbrook going up and down, He'd be a prime candidate for Shaq and a fool. Throwing the ball up into the stands, cross-court pass too high, catches the guy in, in Gucci row. Like, no, actually wouldn't be in Gucci row. Probably be five rows back. You got a name for that row E, five rows back? <laughs> I don't know, man. Gucci, uh, Gucci Prada. Like, does uh, it go back to, like, that's Polo Canal Street row or Gucci. something? That's Canal Street Gucci. That's the <laughs> knockoff. You're still looking good, but you didn't get the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, one last point on the shooting, perhaps. Uh, Gary Trent, last three games. I mentioned a four-game stretch for the Raptors with their shooting woes from distance. I'm just going to look at the last three for Gary. He went into last night three for his last 24 from the perimeter. Last night, two of eight, so now five of 32 over the last three games. But maybe, maybe showing some signs of starting to bust out. Knocked down a couple in the second half yesterday. Kind of got his percentages, at least in terms of the floor overall, back a little bit. 
to where we were seeing it just a few weeks back. 19 points in the ballgame. Here's Nick Nurse on Gary Trent. He had a good night, I thought. I know I know it's only 7-19, but um, to me at least, you know, another four or five of those go in and out, right? So he got some good clearance. Um, thought he got bumped on two or three others. He did get a couple free throws, but I thought he could have had a few more. I thought he made pretty good decisions. And I and I, it felt to me like when he shook his guy down and stepped back that he was going to make them tonight, which is um, certainly progress for sure. And speaking of progress, let's jump quickly to Gary himself. One from him. Here's Trent on what he's doing to try and bust out of the slump. Control to control. You know, putting the work. Go to the gym. Continue to shoot. And you know, whatever happens, happens. Really just coming in every game, you know, trying to help my teammates win, no matter what that is, whether that's getting stops, whether that's trying to score the basketball, you know, just trying to get back in the flow, stay with it, keep going. You know I mean? Control what I can control. To the point. Yeah. Gary Trent, again, 7 of 19, 19 points. Here's one thing I want to point out before we step aside as well. We're going to have uh, Billy King joining us in a couple of minutes' time. I don't know. Maybe we need a longer track to talk about this. We can we can address it later in the show as well, dig a little bit deeper. I know there's no Flynn, there's no Van Vliet, there's no Ananobi. So that impacts your depth, and thus it impacts your bench. But Jonesy, Young, Zip, Banton, Zip, Watanabe, Mihailuk, Brooks even here on a 10-day. Granted, all those guys played five minutes or less, those last three that I mentioned. Zero as well. The only player to score off the bench, Precious Achua, eight points, Toronto's second unit, outscored 37 to 8. That is a major issue too and it's been something we've talked about all season. Nick Nurse got to be pulling out his hair when he goes to the bench and is getting next to nothing and it's been going on arguably all year. Yeah, um and that was one of the things that I said to you last night in our uh <clears throat> in our chat before you went on the air. Roll call. Like some of these guys you know, they, they, I'm sure they're complaining about not playing when Nick is going with his starters for 38, 40, 42 minutes. But how can he trust them to put them in when, as you just rhymed it off, they're not, they're not producing? You know, and, and to those people that are the minutes police, oh, look at how many minutes this guy's playing. Well, do you want to win or not? Because if you can't depend on those guys, who are you going to play? And I, I'll never forget, we had, what, months ago we had Ron Rothstein on, and he said, take care of winning. Take care of winning. That's, mm-hmm. that's what's important. That's what your loyalty is to, winning. So um, this road trip, especially, you know, Malachi's hamstring is, has him out indefinitely, we were told, E. Fred still not sure to come back. <clears throat> These guys got to play, man. These guys got to they, they gotta. They got to play. They can't, you know, as Nick Nurse said, you can't give it to me one night out of five or two nights. I, I need it. I need it three or four. Not everybody's going to play great every night, but give me three or four out of five nights. Don't give me one. And so these guys on the bench, it's time. It's, it, it really is. It's a, it's a really important time that they are needed. All right, let's step aside for a quick couple of moments right here and uh, continue the show as we bring into the conversation a former general manager and president in the NBA and a guy that uh, had a bird's-eye view of the festivities on the weekend for Mike Krzyzewski as he coached his final game uh, at Duke at Cameron Indoor Stadium. We will talk to Billy King next on Smith & Jones. 
Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Joining us on the line right now, former NBA president and GM with the Sixers and Nets, uh, co-host of the WIP Morning Show in Philadelphia, and former player at Duke as well. It's going to be part of our conversation right now as we welcome in Billy King. Billy, thanks for the time as always. Oh, You're welcome, guys. You're welcome. Billy, great to have you. I, I want to get to your brain as a NBA uh, vice president, GM, in a minute, but... Uh, I sat and watched, and, and Eric and I, I'll speak for both of us so you can throw the rock at both of us when you're done. <laughs> D- you went to Duke, and Duke is like, it's like Tiger Woods, Muhammad Ali, the New York Yankees. Like nobody, greatness is polarizing. You're either really with them or really against them. And, and, and I, I mean, I, I was never a guy that cheered for Duke, but, man, Coach K produced so many great players so many great teams. I mean, people like yourself. And I watched that thing on Saturday night, and it was like you were there. It was it was kind of it was sad for me, like the end of an era. I mean, it must have been something to be in the building and having all that go on. You know, it was really special um, to be there um, and to be with all. I think ninety six of uh, I call my brothers uh, from all eras from this. First team with Kennedy Dar and Gene Banks to the the the, class, the finish last year, um, and it, it was kind of sad. Uh, it's sad that because of what he meant to all of us and what he, you know, the foundation he laid in all of us to go forth and become the men we became. Uh, when when he comes into your home and you're 17 years old and he's making these promises and then you make that commitment uh, and you look back on it, you say. He lived up to everything he committed to us. Billy, mm. is there anything, any moment, any anything you can share that you care to share that sort of stands out from just being there and, and perhaps something that we didn't see that the cameras caught that, that you, you would feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, you know, and, and it was probably before we even got there. I think we had to get there probably in, uh, 45 minutes and we almost had to be there. And they, we were in a room um, and they were giving us the shirts and just to see the reaction of all of us seeing each other, there was a, a senior, Todd Anderson, my freshman year. I hadn't seen him since 1985. And to see him and find out what he's doing now. And um, and being back there, you know, you had the Christian Lakers, the Grand Hills, the J-Ribs, dating Ferries, whose jerseys are hanging in the rafters. But back there, they were just, we all were just one of the guys. And just to see the reactions and the smiles on everybody's faces, it, it made me feel like we were back in college all over again. Um, and and the commitment and being in the stands, if they could have had us mic'd as we're all sitting there, the game was unfolding, the comments that we were making, it, we, we were just as competitive as we played because, you know, we, we wanted to go out there and play. Um, and um, But that, that, that was the the behind-the-scenes look for a little bit of you. Uh, Billy, uh, last thing for me on, on the Duke thing. My, my, the moment I remember most about 
uh, Duke basketball. I was a Georgetown fan. I was a fan of Big John and you know, Patrick Ewing is from the same hometown as my dad. I was born in Jamaica as well. And I remember in 89, with the Final Four being in Washington at the Kingdom, when yes. Georgetown, a, a bitter, tough, hard-fought game, Georgetown loses to Duke in the, in the East Regional Final. And although I was cheering for Georgetown, the embrace between Coach K and Quinn Snyder, because... Quinn Snyder was from Mercer Island, Washington. And yeah. the, the embrace at midcourt and Snyder, like, thinking, God, I'm going back home to play in the Final Four. Like, those are the special moments. And I, like I said, I'm not a Duke. I wasn't a Duke fan back then. But those are the moments, like you said, when you talk about the bonds between teammates, things that tie you together forever. Um, it, it's really special, particularly in a program where the coach has been there for, you know, for forty odd years, yeah, no, the, those those are the moments that that really, you know, the hugs that you get when you do something because when you're part of a team and something that's bigger than you, and that's what Coach K makes you understand when you get there. No matter how great you are coming in, once you get there, you join something that's bigger than you, and you realize that, and and you set out to win a championship, and you when you do. And you, you never really talk about winning a championship throughout the season. It's, it's the next game at hand, next game in. And then when you win that championship, it's like you accomplished something. And getting to the Final Four, you accomplished that. Winning the ACC championship and the teams that did win the national championship. And when they win, whether you, when you've graduated and that team wins, you feel like you won because of all the effort that you put into it during your four years. Um, so that's a special. But you brought up a good point and about a program. The legendary coaches like Coach K, like John Thompson, like Dean Smith, they built these programs, and these are men that it wasn't just about basketball, what they taught us. Yes, um, yes. I, I got to know John Thompson. I got to know Dean Smith, and they – had a respect for the game, but they taught you to respect the game, respect each other, and compete like hell, but respect your opponents. Uh, you may want to fight, you may want to push and shove, but you had to respect afterwards. And so there are friends of mine that played at Carolina and that, you know, when we played, yeah, I wanted to beat the age out of them. But when it was over, I had that much respect for them. And that's what these legends that you just mentioned, John Thompson, and I look at Dean Smith like that and Coach K. That's what... They coach college basketball to teach men to be teach boys to become men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking with Billy King, former uh, NBA president, GM with the Sixers and the Nets, and we've just been talking a lot about uh, memories of Duke as well, having uh, played at Duke and, and and taking in the ceremony with Coach K over the weekend. Billy, of course, the co-host with W WIP, excuse me, morning show in Philadelphia as well. Billy, let me transition to the NBA and use that last portion of the conversation as the segue. Speaking of chemistry and cohesion and and knowing your teammates and whatever is there enough time for brooklyn to get this thing together and to try and turn things around whether it be going after that sixth seed whether it be accepting that they're going to be a play-in team and having to fight their way through but with all the ups and downs this year with james harden who's now in philly with kyrie irving with covid covid protocols with injuries now the trade and ben simmons do they have enough time here, Billy, to get it together and to build some sort of cohesion and chemistry to push themselves into the postseason and maybe the run that so many were expecting from this team? 
Well, you know, they just reported that Ben Simmons won't play Thursday back in Philly. And so I think they'll be down to what, 16 games left, something like that. And yeah. the problem is when you don't play, you can get by in teams that you have superior talent over. But when you get into the series where your talent may be equal, you may have the best player in Kevin Durant, but your overall talent becomes equal. That's when the chemistry and the timing and the experience takes over. Because when you're playing in these seven-game series, it's the uh, reactions that take over. It's the mental preparation that takes over. Understanding, okay, I know they're going to do this in the pit roll. He's going to be at that right spot. That takes time. And I don't know if they'll have that time. I think they'll have enough talent maybe to get past the series or whatever. But I don't know because, you know, the year we uh, went to the finals with the Sixers in 2001, we start off the season, Aaron McHugh missed training camp because he had shoulder surgery. Allen had elbow surgery. Eric Snow had, I think he had, he got hurt. And so we didn't have him in training camp. Now, we were able to get back and get in the playoffs, and we lost to Boston in the five-game series. And I think it just came down to we just, you know, when you don't have training camp, you don't have time to practice. Like right now, they're not going to have time to practice in Brooklyn. So their games will be their practice. And if guys are missing games like Kyrie had, he can play on the road, not at home. You, know, you can get by, I think, the first round. I just don't know if they'll have enough to get past the teams like Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Toronto, um, uh, Boston, that have been practicing all year and developing that cohesiveness. Billy, what kind of an advantage, or maybe advantage is the wrong word, uh, what kind of evolution will a team like Philadelphia has, have with um, they've got a great player in Joel Embiid. They've added another great player in James Harden. They're not practicing a lot. They are working it out on the fly, and, and, and they also have a short runway. Or is it one of those where you've played in, in, in the schoolyard, Billy, guys just, after a while, guys just figure it out, that your, your best scorer will still be your best scorer, your best rebounder will still find a way with everything that's going on to be your best rebounder. Is Philadelphia that much further ahead than Brooklyn? Well, well, I, I think it is in the sense of it's easier for a guy like a James Harden because he's setting the table for everybody. You know, he's running the pick and roll, and Joel knows to either pop or roll, and they're figuring that out in the games. And then the other guys are getting their spacing. So they're figuring out, and, and like you just said, they're not practicing, but they're getting in games. And fortunately for them, their first three games were lesser teams than Minnesota and two against the Knicks. So it was like scrimmages almost for them, you know. And the Knicks came here in Philly and gave them a, a tough game at the beginning. But, uh, you know, James didn't play Saturday, but starting tonight they play uh, Chicago at home. Then they've got uh, Brooklyn home. So they'll have some tougher tests. But I think it's easier when a guy is setting the table like James who has the ball in his hands than when a guy like we traded for Mutombo in 2001 to come in and now have to understand where to go in certain plays, where to screen, because that those are the little things that you have. But when James is running, setting the table, it's, I think it's easier for a guard to set the table because he'll tell guys, stay there, I'll find you. You know, the move here, it's like a quarterback that understands the offense. Okay, I know you just run your routes. I'll, you know, get you the ball. I'll watch tape. Um, so I think it's easier for a point guard. Speaking with Billy King, Billy, I, I was going to stay in the East, but I, I want to tap into your front office, uh, you know, experience and expertise here. 
because uh, it's going to tie into a conversation I'm sure you've had on, on your show. We've had many times on this one. What would you either have done or perhaps could still do, albeit there's less than a quarter of a season to play, with the Los Angeles Lakers? Like, there's a lot of name talent, but it's, it hasn't come together. And then you didn't make a deal at the deadline, perhaps because you couldn't because of salaries. I've even talked about, and I've got nothing against the guy personally, and I'm not saying it's his fault at all, but sometimes we see in pro sports even fire the coach bullet because you just you got nothing left to do, but Frank Vogel's still there. Like, what would you do, what could you do if there's anything to do? Well, at this point, I don't know if there's anything you do, you know, Firing Frank Vogel, that won't do any. I, I think it won't change anything. Um, okay, the guys may play a little hard, a little better, but when you're not playing well, it's hard. It's, it's you know if, this, if they did it like you know forty, thirty games ago. Okay, you have time to you have a runway to get there. With this shorter runway, I think you got to ride it out. And now, um, you know, when you're sitting in that seat and making those decisions in the off season, sometimes you get greedy and you believe like okay if i get this guy it'll be different because of our organization we're going to put him in a different environment he'll he'll play better um and i think that's what they did when they got russell westbrook and added those pieces that okay we have lebron they'll figure it out um and sometimes uh, greg pop just told me told me this a while ago he said sometimes less is more and by adding all those pieces I think they got a little more, and I think if they had less and built, it's okay, we got Anthony Davis, LeBron. Let's build around them with young athletic guys and spacing and shooting, and we'll be okay rather than going and get another guy who's been dominant of the ball his whole career. Now he's got to adjust his game. You know, Russell Westbrook, I think, needs to play like Allen Iverson, where he's going full tilt with the ball and everybody else feeds off him. And it can't happen in L.A. So I think there's nothing at this point they can do but ride it out and see how it finishes and prepare for next season. Jonesy, you got another one, or are we gonna are we gonna let Billy go? I think Billy, we're gonna yeah, let you no. go here. We appreciate. Oh, Jonesy, go ahead. I, I do. Sorry, I had my uh, I had my mute on. Um, I do work in radio, Billy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, while you're riding it out, Billy. Is there yeah. some, like the guy who's, who's a storm chaser, are there some things you can put together, seed the clouds to try and get the perfect storm in the playoffs? Is, is there something you can do? Because still, nobody wants to see LeBron in the playoffs. I don't care how poorly they're playing. It's like, okay, you got to beat LeBron. It's like, oh, man, really? Can we get somebody else? Because it just, it's just never an easy proposition. Yeah, well, I, I, just, I mean, one thing I didn't mention is I would be doing behind his management. I would be spending time sitting with LeBron and said, okay, we're going to get AD back and trying to make sure mentally the whole group and sitting with Westbrook and mentally making sure that they're all on the same page of staying together as a group. Um, and I'd be spending time talking to the coaches, keeping them upbeat and saying, and almost use the outside noise as motivation like everybody's saying we can't do this and we're going to stay together and do it um but just looking at it it's just they don't look like they're enjoying it lebron gave it everything he had to to win that game he can't do that every night right um and it just looks like that they're they're just not 
when Toronto won the championship, that was a team. They believed in every game, and you saw they were having fun playing together. It was air confidence. You look at L.A., they just don't. They're waiting for LeBron to carry him. And in 18 years of the league, he can't do it every night. Um, you see body language of teams, and you, you guys watch teams come and play Toronto, and you see body language, you go, okay, this team ain't got it tonight. And just and as you get closer to the end of the season, guys start thinking summer plans rather than playoff plans. And I don't be, I'm not saying the Lakers are there yet, but as you get closer, even with LeBron, some of those other guys will start saying, yeah, yeah, I don't know if we can do this. But you don't want to play LeBron in the playoffs, but I just don't know if LeBron has that same invincibility that he once had because of you know the wear and tear on his body over these 18 years. Hey, Billy, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome, guys. Thanks, Billy. There is Billy King, former NBA president and GM with the Sixers and Nets, co-host of the WIP Morning Show in Philadelphia, and off the top, uh, chatting about some memories of Duke as well as he played at Duke and was in the house for Coach K's final game at Cameron on the weekend. Always appreciate having Billy on the show. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones, folks, wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review and share and download and all that good stuff. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can find Smith & Jones. We'll continue with more in the next hour as uh, we'll have a lot on the NBA, including the Los Angeles Lakers and uh, a whole lot more. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment. Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sport. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Joining us on the line right now, friend of the show from the LA Times covering the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA overall, Dan Wojcicki. Dan, thanks for the time as always. Eric, thank you for calling me after a rare Laker win. Um, what great strategy by Frank Vogel, Eric, to put the ball in LeBron James's hands like that. Um, just beautiful stuff. He just he showed what a great coach he is, you know, give the ball to one of the greatest and just let him go to work. <laughs> my guy, Frank. I love Frank Vogel, Dan. My guy, my guy. Frank Vogel fan club, number one fan right here. All, all the joking aside, though, uh, there is yeah. a lot to dive into. And, and, and you know what? I want to mm -hmm. go back to that performance, no doubt. But let me start with this. Um, we had Jeff Perlman on the show last week. Um, I have okay. not yet seen episode one. I don't know if you watched it as well or if you've seen it yet I or did. not. But the news you did. did, okay. So I have not yeah. seen it yet. But the new show on HBO about the Lakers premiered last night. I tie in kind of a couple of things into this question. We got Magic calling out uh, Russell Westbrook. We've we've got Laker fans either loving or hating Magic for doing so, and then questioning if Magic should be saying anything because he's allegedly walked out on the Lakers. I'm hearing from Perlman, as he told Jonesy and I, that many of the Lakers, including Magic, hate this new show, say they're not even going to watch it. Uh, Jeannie Buss doesn't want to see it. Like, There's always something in L.A., Dan. Like, Where do, where do we start with all this? Well, I mean, I think to Jeff's point, um, yes, that is absolutely true. This is not a um, open like at the the like the big names in the Lakers organization are not um, thrilled, we'll say, um, with sort of the dramatization and expose, perhaps, of aspects of their lives um, forty years ago, right? And it's gonna 
be really fallacious. Um, basketball um, in Los Angeles in 1980 is a very different thing than it is today with all sorts of different uh, substances and some very consistent vices still still uh, around. And I think that there's people – it's kind of – I remember I had a conversation with someone um, when the last dance aired and a, a member of that Bulls team, and we kind of talked, and it was sort of like that, – that, that player kind of said, well, you know, I hope they don't show everything because I have a wife and kids now. I, I think there is an element of that in yeah. this. It's like, yeah. sort of like there's going to be a couple uncomfortable conversations with people that people watch. Um, you know, that being said, it's like a fun – you know, it, I, I enjoyed the first episode. I look forward to seeing more. I really like Jeff's book. Um, he's a terrific reporter, a terrific biographer. Um, so it'll, it'll be, it'll be fun. And, and, you know, hopefully people can enjoy it as a dramatic series and, and, you know, realize it's not quite a documentary, but, um, and, and Eric, to your other point, at this point, I'm not sure that there's a lot of Russell Westbrook defenders within the, the Laker contingencies, um, you know, around. Uh, so maybe that's the way that magic could get back in the good graces of the Lakers. Maybe she'd go on Twitter more and say more about Russell Westbrook. Well, Dan, unlike Eric, I had a chance to watch the first episode, and it was uh, after reading the book and all of the stuff that you heard about that Showtime era that was all folklore, right? Because there was no social media. It was all, and that stuff never made it to the papers. It was all kind of word of mouth. It was was really interesting, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to the rest of the series yeah. for sure, and 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 I I guess, um, I guess for me, is that one of those where guys that are were around the organization? I mean, some of those people are gone right now, gone in life and gone from the organization. Is that one of those mm-hmm. that you think they want to just kind of buried in the time capsule and never to come out? No, I don't think it's that. I mean, like because. I mean, here's the thing, right, is, like, we've got all sorts of competing projects that are coming out, like, sort of post-Last Dance, right? Like, there's a, I think, a Hulu, I believe a Hulu documentary series that Genie Bus is involved with. There's a Magic Johnson series, um, documentary series, you know, that, that he has his fingerprints out. So, like, I think it's more just sort of, like, you just, you want to tell your own story because you can gloss over the, the not-so-bad parts. You know, or I'm sorry, go off yeah. the bad parts. You, you know what I mean? And highlight the not so bad stuff, right? You can, you can say things sort of in the name of being honest, but leave out like the real ugly stuff, right? And I think, you know, Jeff Broman, Adam McKay, HBO, like they're beholden to none of that. I mean, they can make it more salacious if they want to, right? There's a disclaimer right at the top of the episode um, and something like some of the facts will be spot on. Guess what? Jerry West loves to say the F word. I can say this as someone who's been around here. Has, like he likes to curse, world class cursor. Um, you know what I mean, and that gets captured <laughs> in the first episode. Uh, yeah. you, you know what I mean. Like I think, I think you know stuff like that. Sure, whatever you know. But like, you know, when it comes to we'll say philandering, I, I could imagine that there would be some awkwardness. Um, certainly, I mean, I know I would. I can say this because we're, we're on in Canada. My wife's not listening. Um, you know, a doc, a, 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 a series about my early twenties would not be a fun show to watch with my wife. <laughs> that bad guys. That would be, that would be bad. <laughs> and now thankfully 
I will never achieve the success of the Showtime Lakers, so I don't have to worry about this being ever made. But if, if for some reason it does, I will tell you right now, I will disavow that project as fast as I can. That, you know what? I'll say this, though, too, Dan, with, with no disrespect intended, because I'll put myself in the same conversation. You say it well, you describe it well, because I'm going to assume you probably wouldn't want to see one made about your wife's early 20s either. I wouldn't want to see one about my wife's early 20s. Just how, so I'm sure, dare, you know? how dare you, sir? How dare you? First Frank Vogel and now my wife, Eric? Come on. <laughs> At least no, I'm not yeah, firing her. Oh, we lost a guest. We, we just lost a guest. There you go. Last time Dan, Dan will ever be on the show. <laughs> Friend of the show. How dare you? I'd hate to be an enemy of the show. Uh, all right, Dan, let's turn the attention on to current day yeah. on the floor uh, and not the, uh, the, the, the the dramatization. I still want to see the show. I mean, I'm going to watch every episode I can. But, it's good. You'll um, like it. You'll really like yeah. it. I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm staring at a picture of Magic Johnson on my wall in the home office. Like, that's my guy, Magic. But uh, I'm sure there's a lot from the 80s that, as a young Eric Smith, did not know. So certainly heard a lot about over the years, and I'm looking forward to seeing it uh, whenever we get a chance to. Um, all right, Dan, I'm going to ask the exact same question. The audience will love this. Insert question that we asked Billy King last hour. Insert same question we asked Kevin Weeks on the hockey side of things about 20 minutes ago. Do the Lakers have time to, I'm not even going to say turn around the season, put themselves in a decent enough position to win a play-in, assuming they're still in there, and actually be a threat come playoff time? Uh, well, let's take the the end of that first, right? And that's like, I think they will 100% be a threat in the playoffs, right? Because of what we saw on Saturday. And they have LeBron James, right? And um, they conceivably will have Anthony Davis. And if you are a top-seeded team, um, you know, let's just this is assuming that they get into the, the playing tournament and then advance. Um, if you're the Warriors, if you're the Phoenix Suns, um, like you feel good about what you've done for 82 games and you should, I, I don't think I'd want to see those guys there. I mean, I'd rather see, you know, a Clipper team without Kawhi Leonard. I'd rather see the New Orleans Pelicans, despite how good they're playing. You know, I would rather see the Minnesota Timberwolves. I don't, I don't know in a playoff series I'd want to say, okay, cool. Like this team is incredibly flawed, but they, they have LeBron James. You know, and it is a it, it, that in itself is is a threat. And then you talk to I think the Lakers talk about it sort of, and it feels sort of half hearted because they know how flawed they are. But when you talk to other teams, Eric, and, and you, you know, Judge, and, and you you hear what other people have to say, it's like that's a consistent refrain. It's sort of like, yeah, they're bad. Yeah, they're flawed. Um, yeah, the season is, must have been a drain on you, but. Um, there's still a chance in the playoffs, right? And, and people people believe that. I think now the question is, is there enough time to put themselves in a good position? I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical. Uh, obviously, they're not going to be in the top six, right? So they're going to be in the play-in tournament. So then the goal should be to get to either the, the seven or the eight spot, right, where you give yourself two chances to win your, win your way in. Um, that's going to be hard, you know. Um, I think – you look at Minnesota and you say, like, oh, well, they've got the Anthony Edwards knee injury. Maybe there's, there's some slippage there. You look at the Clippers and you see a team that, you know, good enough to, to make every shot against the Lakers, bad enough to, 
miss every shot against the Knicks. Um, you know, is, is there is, – because it's going it's, to – to me, I just don't think the Lakers are going to go 16-4 and four over the stretch. Like, I've seen nothing that would lead me to believe that that's possible. Um, you know, I, I mean, 12-8 and eight doesn't seem possible. So, you know, mm. it's going to require people coming back to them um, in addition to them playing – decent if not great basketball like we'll see right like good good vibes after that Warriors game um yeah. but LeBron said it like you know scored 56 points they needed almost all of them you know like it wasn't uh you know that's not a sustainable method that's not a sustainable method of victory um we'll, we'll see you know they're in San Antonio tonight I'm here I'm here for that they're in Houston after that both are winnable games um you know if, if they can win three in a row you know, now we're maybe now we're talking. We're not quite cooking with gas, but maybe with a a, a dull fire. Well, and, and Dan, and that's Simmer. you know that's what I guess the concern is for everybody else. Like as Dwayne Casey used to say, you don't want the roulette ball to to land on your square. There's a whole bunch of other squares that can yeah. land on. Just don't let it land on yours. And 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 what what struck me about Lisa Salter's post game interview with LeBron on Saturday night was. When she asked where it came from, he said, out of desperation. Uh, never yep. underestimate how desperation fuels people. Like, how do you think Russell Westbrook is feeling right now when you talk about desperation? And I would just, I don't think they're going to go anywhere, but I would just, it, if there's, if the chances are one in a thousand, I'd hate to be that team that, that hits the one. And, and all of a sudden the Lakers pick it up and yeah. they start rolling. Like, that's, that's the fear. That's the fear from the rest of the NBA. Well, I mean, I can tell you, you know, you talk about is there enough time, right, and stuff. And, and and so, right, like the big conversation this weekend was sort of, you know, should the Lakers bench Russell Westbrook, right? Should he come off the bench? Um, that, that things have been bad enough for that. That conversation has been happening internally. Um, play, there are, I mean, I guess I can say, like, there are players that have wanted it. There are coaches that have wanted it, and it hasn't happened. And in part, the reason I can report why it hasn't happened is that I think, you know, Frank Vogel knows that if this team is going to be good, um, that it needs Russell Westbrook to play well. That that is a a mandatory part of the best version of the Lakers. And, like, this, they're still operating. They don't want to be 3% better, right? Like, they don't want to be 4% better. They, they still, they still want to be a difference maker in this. They want to be in, in sort of the conversation. And I mean, I don't think that they can honestly say, like, you know, we think we can still win a title. I, I mean, that would, again, zero evidence, zero evidence to point to that. Um, but, you know, to Jonesy's point, could they be a disruptor? Like, I think so, like a real disruptor, maybe win a series and upset, kind of shake things up in the West. And, and, you know, maybe you're right. There is this fear that, you know, what if they do figure it out? Like, there is a lot of great top-end talent. I mean, I think what the season has told us, though, is that I was talking to an executive about this on Saturday. You know, the the problem with the Lakers is that there's just no middle class on their roster, right? Is that you've got, um, and this is a, I mean, it's a problem in terms of at the trade deadline, right, where you had uh, three guys making more than $40 million. Those contracts are really hard to trade. Obviously, they're also generally given to very good players. And then you've got a bunch of guys making no money. Um, you know, the bulk of the team on minimum contracts, the, the, the exceptions being Kendrick Nunn, who hasn't played a second yet, and Taylor Horton Tucker, who has been very up and down. 
So, you, you know, this is a team that doesn't really have a middle class. So you don't have when, 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 it, when, it, goes, when it goes poorly for Russell Westbrook, and I say this with no disrespect, like they have to turn to guys like Austin Reeves, who's an undrafted rookie. He's played very well this season by and large, right? But, like, he's an undrafted rookie. Uh, you know, Carmelo Anthony, uh, as, as an added scoring presence up the bench, he's been terrific. Um, Carmelo Anthony, like, there's, like, there was a reason why he's a minimum player. Right, he doesn't really move on defense anymore. Um, you know, you know, so like they, they've got they've got tremendously flawed players. I guess is my my general point. They don't have that kind of in between class that um, stabilizes in playoff series. Players like I mean, you saw it in Toronto. Players like Danny Green, right? And he did it with the Lakers. Like, they don't really have those guys, and, and so um, it kind of falls on the top people to do something incredibly great. You know, and we'll see if they're able to do that when the games matter most. Dan, we appreciate the time as always. We're up against the clock. Uh, love chatting with you and uh, look forward to talking again soon. All the best. Miss you guys very much. See you soon. Thanks, Dan. There is Dan Wojcicki from the L.A. Times. Uh, Raptors idle for a couple of days, getting set for their next action on Wednesday when they will face the San Antonio Spurs. Lakers tonight in San Antonio facing said team. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review, download and share as well. We'll be back again on Tuesday with another edition of Smith & Jones right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.